Well, welcome everyone. We're going to continue our series on um, discipleship today. So let's um, dive straight into the text. So if you have your um, Bibles with you, um, then fantastic. If you'd like to turn to uh, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be reading from verse 35, um, or you can just follow it on the big screens. So John 10, 35 says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. James called them together, and, uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are uh, regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one of the, um, in fact, three things that you can really judge uh, where someone is going in their discipleship, in their walk with Jesus is money, sex, and power. Okay, those three things. If someone has got those under control, then they are walking a discipled, a disciplined life. And so I'm going to be looking at the last one of those, which is power. And in the New Testament, there are various words used for this word power. Um, the first is exousia, which means authority, and that was the one that was in our, in our text. The other one is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, powerful, powerful stuff. And I guess the giveaway about what's going on in this passage is the very first thing that James and John say to Jesus. They, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Yeah? Do it for us, Jesus. We want these top jobs. You see, the disciples are um, looking forward to going to Jerusalem to um, basically kick out the corrupt scribes and Pharisees and replace the temple worship with them. They're going to have the top jobs in the new uh, temple state. And, we've all, and it's interesting that um, Mark has put this um, particular passage between two stories of people who are blind. You can't see what's going on. And the disciples, as we shall see, certainly don't know what's going on. They think they're there for their own ends. And it's interesting that um, in, in the passage at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus takes a small child and and put and is, in fact he's absolutely irate with them that they're trying to prevent the children coming to him. They also say about some someone else who's casting out demons in your name, and they say, "Shall we stop them? They want to maintain 
you know, the Jesus brand. They want to keep it to themselves. They want a fantasy Jesus. A bit like a slot machine. You put the money in, you say the right things, you do the right things, pull the lever, and hey presto, out comes what you want. That's the sorts of disciples, that's what they were thinking at, those, at that time. And we know that for all sorts of various reasons that those of you who've been studying Mark with me will know all about, but we won't go into at the moment. So they want Jesus to do what they want. Yeah, not what Jesus wants. Jesus already explained that to them, but they want to do what they want. They want him to do what they want. They want to control the Jesus brand. Isn't that what power is all about? Control? We've only got to look on our television screens to see the dreadful goings-on in the Ukraine. How one person's ego, power trip, is plunging the world into, well, probably recession and goodness knows what else. That's, that's not even including the human suffering that's going on every day. Power, that sort of power... That sort of power that wants to control is destructive. It ultimately destroys. It's the same power that, was, um, uh, that Adam and Eve wanted to exert in the Garden of Eden. They wanted a separate moral standard as opposed to God's. They wanted to do it their way. And look at all the pain and suffering that has happened because of that power grab, if you like. Power is a destructive and dangerous thing. And it's no surprise then that the word um, donamis, for example, occurs more than 70 times in the New Testament. God wants us to know about power. We as Christians will have to deal with power. But on very different grounds and in a very different way to the world deals with power. So many people through history have thought that power is something that they want to obtain, they want control, and it has caused endless suffering and pain and death through the years. That's the world's pain. That's what the disciples unwittingly, probably, were asking here. And Jesus points out to them that they, their power is to be in the completely the opposite direction. It's not to control people. It's not for destruction. It's for life. Did Jesus say, I've come that you may have life and have it in its abundance? The power that Jesus wants to give us is the power for life, not for death. You know, I'm, I really, uh, as you know, I often wax lyrical about the Alpha course. And one of the, um, one of the amazing things is the way that Week by week, the people who come to the Alpha Course get changed. They're hearing God's word preached to them in various different ways, explained to them, and that has a liberating effect. But it's true that that's why the, Paul says that the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for those that believe. And another place, we're told that the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. 
Yeah, power, real power. There is so many people who give you know, this sort of um, you know, view of Christianity. It's all about words. It's all about saying the right things. No, the Christianity is all about power. But it's not the power that the world knows about. It's a different sort of power. It's the power that Jesus talks about at the end here, the power to serve. He says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if that power uh, that Jesus wants to give us is um, uh, a power that liberates, powers that set us free, let's have a look and think about what this sort of power is. Well, if we look in our Bibles, Ephesians 1 is a very good place to start. It tells us that the working of his power is like the same power that resurrected him from the dead. It's the same power that heals the sick, that cleanses the leper, that raises the dead. The same power. And what's more, we're told that that power lives in us. That is pretty heady stuff, isn't it? Pretty heady stuff. So it's that is the sort of power that is available to us. But it's not just in these big things, in these sort of what you might call um, works of power, sometimes they're called in the New Testament. But they're little things. So we read in Acts about a lady called Tabitha who made dresses and repaired garments for the widows. And aren't we seeing that happen before our very eyes as a response to Mr. Putin's war? People who, perhaps on the face of it, are powerless, clubbing together, setting up collection points for you know, all sorts of goods, all sorts of things that are required by all those millions of refugees who are flooding out of the Ukraine right now. You see, we've got two different types of power on display for all to see. We've got the power of a man who's probably deranged, who thinks it's okay to kill others to extend his, you know, his rule and his reign. And yet we've got other people who are comparatively powerless. And yet the wave of... Um, you know, things that have happened to support those refugees, to take care of them, is, I think, amazing. I doubt that we've ever seen anything like that since the Second World War. That's the sort of power that Jesus wants to enable us to have. You see, it's power for those who are weak. In fact, if you're feeling weak this morning, then you're actually in the right place to receive power. Paul says, my, you know, he says that Jesus told him that his grace is sufficient for him because his power is made perfect in weakness. And we don't know what Paul's problem was. It could have been that he had um, a limp or some sort of arthritis or something wrong with, um, with his legs, but, we, but scholars are divided on the thing. But the point is that although Paul prayed that he would be healed, he wasn't. And he couldn't understand why he hadn't been healed. This was the answer. Because God wanted him to be dependent on him and not on himself. You know, Paul's, Paul is one of the 
you know, the, the brightest minds that probably the church has ever seen. And he could be, you know, he could, the temptation could be to sort of sit back on that. Well, I'm actually quite a clever bloke, you know, and I've met Jesus in a vision and, you know, I've prayed for people and they've been healed and all sorts of things. But no, he didn't rest on that. He rested on the fact that his weakness made God's power perfect. So if you're feeling weak, powerless this morning, then you are in the right place because you're the sort of person that God can entrust with that power. See, so many people think that they can exert all sorts of control over others. You know, you know if someone comes along and perhaps takes your money, Christian might say, well, it wasn't mine in the first place. I've just got it on loan, if you like, from God. Or if you lose your position, perhaps you get demoted um, in your work or fail to get promoted, perhaps. Well, it's only a title. And the title that really matters is a son or a daughter of God, isn't it? That's the title that really matters. That's the position that really matters. So it's very difficult to exert power on people who are powerless. Very difficult, because they've got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Their security is not in a job title or in a position. Their security is in the fact that Jesus calls them a son and daughter. And in fact, that's the next thing. It's the, the, the um, uh, power of God is available to us as a body. We are called to a new relationship. In John, it says, to those who believed, he gave the authority to be called sons of God. So God's power, if you like, confirms in us our new identity. The fact that we now belong to God. We are now called a son or a daughter of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the sort of power I want to, want to have in my life. That assurance that he calls me son. And I can call him, you know, dad, father, Abba, Abba, father. It's what the word that the little children who were running around um, in Jesus' day would be shouting out to their dads. A word, a term of great intimacy. So it's the power that we have available to us for, to form new relationships both with our Heavenly Father and with those around us. Because the point is that this power that we're we're to have and to exercise is not one that we exercise in isolation to others. So that's why um, Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and high and deep is the love of God. So that power gets released when we're with others, when we're worshipping with others. Because there's this element of accountability. So I'm accountable to the elders, because I am an elder, I'm accountable to the elders, but ultimately I'm accountable to the church. And in the final instance, I'm accountable to God. 
So it matters how I exert the power that he gives, how I use it for. Remember in the in Acts, there's this guy called Simon Magus, this magician who's obviously quite a, quite a sort of a draw. He, he obviously does some uh, quite amazing things because he's quite rich. And he sees the way that the disciples pray for people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want to buy that. And the disciples are absolutely, you know, distraught. You can't buy this. The power of God is not there to use as your personal plaything. The power of God, as we are told, is to help us do the things of the kingdom, do the work of the kingdom, whether that's cleansing lepers or raising the dead or whatever it is that God wants us to do. And I know that there are many here who have prayed and seen God move in power. And I've seen that happen as well in my own life. And I can tell you there is nothing more exciting, nothing more exhilarating, nothing more humbling than seeing God move because you've prayed. You know, I don't heal anyone. God does that. Yeah, all we've got to do is be obedient. And that's why it says um, in there that if we are obedient then God will move at our behest. Do whatever you ask in my name. Stark contrast to the disciples wanting to God to do anything that they you know, crossed their minds, that they thought would be nice to have. Because this time, they are using God's power in the way it should be used. Not to control and exert and manipulate others, but to glorify God, to glorify his name. So we, we enjoy, um, if you like, this power when we are accountable to each other. That's the sort of power that God wants to release to us. Where does this, where, where does this power come from? Well, the Bible tells us that this power is released to us um, from the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, it tells us that the Spirit gives us this power. At Jesus' baptism, we're told that the Holy Spirit um, descends on him like a dove. And then he, it goes, he's off, he goes off tested and is tested by the, the devil. And when he returns from the wilderness, it says Jesus returned with, the, with power and with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. And shortly in, uh, around about Easter time or just after Easter, we'll be thinking about Pentecost. You know the story, the, the disciples huddled together with doors locked for fears, fear of the Jews. Timid bunch, a bunch who had failed spectacularly but they were obedient. They waited for when Jesus would, 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 would return. They didn't know how, but as soon as the Holy Spirit descended upon them, things changed radically. They were different people. 
Peter was able to go out and preach to thousands of people and, and thousands became Christians that day because of the power of God. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know his power? Another thing that the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that, that um, power, that sort of power that God wants to give us is in helping us to live godly lives. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we might participate in the divine nature. What on earth does that mean? Well, if any of us here struggling with what they used to call in the old days, besetting sins, things that habits, bad habits that you just can't kick, try as you may, you keep on being beset by those things. Online porn, gambling, those sorts of besetting sins, addictions of one sort or another that keep our hearts held, if, if you like, in a vice. Holy Spirit, the power of God, can release you from those sorts of addictions, can bring that life back into your heart because he can break those addictions. That's the sort of power that God wants us to have. And the amazing promise is that somehow or other, when that happens, we participate in the very life and nature of God. That's amazing. I often say and that's amazing because I'm just struck again and again and again by how amazing it is that God so loves us that he's entrusted with us with such power. I mean, if I was God, I wouldn't give myself that sort of power. Thankfully, I'm not. Thankfully, God only gives it to those people who have shown themselves able to use it. So that's why we're told never to despise the day of small things. Because if God can see that you can use a small amount of power, then chances are he can trust you with more. So if you've just seen God move in a little way in your, in, when you've prayed and when you've uh, tried to do the right things and been obedient to him, then keep on. Keep on keeping on because God wants to give you more. And that's my prayer that we might know more and more of God's power in this place. More of his love. More of his acceptance more of those willingness to obey him and to do what he's told us. That's what I'm looking for in my life and in the life of this church. So that even when we've, when we've got COVID, all these chairs are full. That God's name is lifted up and praised and magnified for the great God he is. And somehow or other, the Bible says, we actually participate in his very life. Think about it. And then you perhaps might also come to, to believe how amazing that is. Finally, when can, how can we access this power? Well, one of the ways um, is primarily at baptism. 
And we're looking forward um, to having a baptism service here um, in the next few weeks or so. And so if there's anyone here who is um, thinking about baptism, can I encourage you to come and speak to Chrissy or one of the elders um, about that? That would, be, that would be good. We're looking forward to that, um, that baptismal service because at so often at baptismal services, um, people, we get, you, you get to hear about how God has been working in their life. And also, on a on number of occasions, I've seen people's uh, lives completely transformed through coming out of the waters of baptism. So one particular story I heard many um, years ago was um, about this guy who um, uh, had a whole load of tattoos all over his body, including an upside-down cross that was tattooed on his back. And he was deeply ashamed of that when he became a Christian. He was, well, yeah, he was wanted to try and get it you know, changed in some sort of way. Uh, really upset, wouldn't take his shirt off and everything like that because you know, he didn't want people to see um, this inverted cross that had been tattooed on his back. Went through the waters of baptism. When he came out, the tattoo had disappeared. Isn't that wonderful? And other people have testified to where they've, you know, they've been angry or whatever. They've had a problem with anger. And they're going through the waters of baptism, either immediately or soon after, they felt this anger just disappear. Their calmness and peace has, give, has been replaced, has replaced the anger that they felt in their, in their lives against you know, all sorts of people. Perceived hurts, people who have perhaps hurt them in the past, they were able to forgive through going through the waters of baptism. So I don't know about you, but I'm really, I really look forward to baptisms, to hear what God has been doing in people's lives and just to see how God will transform a life. You know, Vanessa and I were really privileged when we were at um, university to attend Glenwood Church, which, is, which was in those days, you know, way, way back into the 1980s, the second fastest growing church in the country. When we first went there, there was about, I don't know, not many more people than they're here now. When we left three years later, if you didn't come to church half an hour before it started, you didn't get a seat. Testimony after testimony, usually it was of men who'd come following their wives, girlfriends. And they said, my wife came to this church and a parent and toddler group and a few weeks after doing that, she was completely different and I couldn't understand why. So I had to come and find out. And when they came and found out, they met Jesus. Their lives were changed. They went on with Jesus. In fact, the growth of the church was so fast that they, had, they met in a sports hall and they had plans to build a 300-seater auditorium. And by the time they had the money um, to build the church, they'd already exceeded the 300 capacity. So what they did was tarmac it over and use it as a car park. And you can go to the outskirts of Cardiff, to one of the big housing estates there, and it's still there today. Still a thriving church. That's what I'm praying for in this place. If God can do it then, he can do it here. What does he need? People who are deeply in love with him, who can be entrusted with this sort of power that we've been thinking about this morning. And it may be that you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, Andy, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited about that sort of power, but I don't, I don't know that in my life. 
Or perhaps you're sitting there thinking, well, you, you don't know this sort of this besetting sin that I've got that I just can't break, this habit I can't break. Well, I want to tell you this morning that you can meet with Jesus and he can do exactly that for you. He can give you that power to turn your life around. He can give you that power that will break the habits of the past. Because you see, it doesn't depend on you and your efforts. It depends on him. It's not a question of how hard you can try. Because I can tell you, you won't be able to try hard enough. You need what Jesus came to do, which is break the chains of the captives, to set them free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. That's the sort of power that God wants to wield in this place and through us. Are you excited? Are you looking forward to when God shows up and moves in that way? Yeah, I certainly am. I certainly am. I want to see more of God's power. And I want to be in the right place to be able to receive that power. Power that can change lives, to turn violent criminals into people who will go to the ends of the earth for Jesus. You see some of the Alpha videos. There are people in there who were you know, at their, on, at their wit's end and at the, almost at the end of their lives. And God intervened in the most amazing ways and turned them around. Either he healed them or he released them of their anger or whatever it was that they were struggling with and transformed them into people that he could use.